Hi, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I want to uh, say I'm sorry that we didn't put an episode out last week. Uh, I intended to uh, share an episode with you, but lots of things happened. I was on vacation for the latter half of the week. Chris was on vacation for the first half of the week. But most important, my uh, computer went on vacation the day before I went on vacation. So I really wasn't able to do very much. But uh, I came back and there was a new computer waiting for me. And here we are. We are ready to go. First thing I'd like to do is thank our sponsor, KNF. We'll hear a little more from KNF in the podcast episode. Our guest today is Camille Chang Gilmore. She is Vice President of Human Resources in the Global Chief Diversity Officer at Boston Scientific. We mentioned a few podcast episodes ago when I was talking with CEO Mike Mahoney that we have Camille Chang Gilmore on the podcast, and here we are. So uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with Camille. Boston Scientific's been knocking it out of the park in uh, in this department, and uh, Camille will explain what they're doing to achieve this success. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to let you know that Device Talks West is happening. October 19th and 20th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. You can find information at devicetalks.com. We have many, many speakers up there. I'll be working the agenda very soon, getting that up there for you to take a look at. It will be a fantastic show. If you were at Boston and want to uh, feel that energy again, please do join us in Santa Clara. If you missed out on Boston, please don't miss out again on Device Talks West. Again, go to devicetalks.com for more information, and uh, we will uh, keep you updated here in the podcast, but uh, don't wait too long to register. We definitely want to see you out there in Silicon Valley. Again, the dates are October 19th and 20th. All right, without any further delay, let's get this podcast episode started. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, KNF. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, doing well, sir. Are you grilling? Is it too hot to grill over there? Yeah, it's cooled off a bit. We'll get some more grilling going. Yeah. So it'll be a good deal. Up at the lake with the family last week. You're up at the lake. Up at the lake. <laughs> yeah. How was the lake? <laughs> lake was great. You had some success with the banana boat, I understand. Yes. Yes. Like uh, my uh, <laughs> elementary school age son had a had a good had a good time on his first uh, banana boat ride, <laughs> getting, getting pulled behind a pontoon boat on a. Big inflatable uh, banana boats. Big inflatable boats. banana boats. Someone should Google and that. I, I heard your son was doing a little, I, I saw he was doing a little drone action on top of a mountain. Yes. That was, that was yes, amazing. That was. We climbed uh, Pierce Pond Mountain in Maine, which is about 100 oh miles gosh. east of the uh, North New Hampshire, Quebec border. I don't know what accent that was, yeah. but um, <laughs> what was that? that was awful. But we climbed to the top. It's about 25. <laughs> that sounds like John F. Kennedy. I try to go Maine and then I try to go Quebec and then it just came out <laughs> like a drunk, a drunk version of myself with my Boston accent. But uh, yeah, so it's just a, it's 2,500 
feet up, so not a big mountain, but it was a bit, bit, uh, a bit bumpy at times. But yeah, the drone went all the way around, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful area up there, up there in Maine. So uh, happy to get to spend a couple of days there. No fish though. We did fishing, and uh, pretty quiet, pretty quiet. That's the best fishing though. It's nice and quiet and just relax. You know? We had a nice time. We had a nice time. Maybe you'll catch something. Maybe you won't. But yeah, you had a good. That's awesome. He would like to catch a fish. I think that would be his his preference. But uh, we'll get there. He'll learn patience cool. and all that yes. stuff that goes with fishing. It's great. So we uh, we are back. We we, are uh, back. we took a bit of a hiatus last week, as I explained at the top. Uh, Tanned, rested, and ready. Yeah, we Here didn't put. We are. We didn't put our podcast out last week because uh, my computer died, but uh, and you were on vacation, so yes. uh, it just the universe said no, not this. Where not, should not people send flowers for your computer, Tom? Uh, I've forgotten about we, the breakup was quick, and I've now yeah. got a new MacBook uh, that the company sent me, and you uh, moved on. The I'm old in computers. love. Yeah, I'm in love. <laughs> I can't even remember what the old computer looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. I got bells. I got whistles. I unfortunately I also have a, a, a higher resolution camera, so when I do Zoom calls like this one, I can count the gray hairs in my beard. It's not just a gray mesh. It's oh, yeah. actually I can I can look at them all and think if I need to shave. So I don't know if I needed this much detail. Apple, you could uh, just tone it down a couple of notches there. Just. Maybe I can fuzz myself. Maybe I'll blue dot my face on my Zoom calls. Oh, my my old Mac is it's feeling a little clunky, but maybe I'll wait a little longer because I don't know if I want to count my my gray hairs <laughs> and my, my beard. But anyway, but we we uh we have a week's we're just go with this week's worth the worth of new Marcus Newsmakers, yes. correct? Yeah. Yeah, we're just we'll just, just we'll just move jumping on. in. News hot off the presses. Here we yep. go. Keep it fresh. Fresh fish, everybody. Keep okay. Fresh. That's right. What is number Freshly five? Freshly caught off the line. Off the line. <laughs> Real. <That's right. laughs> We got a whopper. <laughs> well, here we go. We got news from iRhythm. Um, they're uh, bringing in other Dexcom veteran into their uh, their C-suite. Uh, you know, their uh, their current uh, CEO, Quentin Blackford, uh, was was brought over from uh, Dexcom. And now the, their next uh, chief commercial officer over there is going to be uh, Chad Patterson, who, uh, you know, uh, who, who, who's joining them, uh, you, know, you know, most recently served as chief marketing officer over at Dexcom. So we're, you know, just seeing more more executive talent from uh, Dexcom moving over to, to iRhythm, uh, you know, both both uh both of them companies like with a strong like digital health type uh type fo- focus to their products so and i'm looking at the article written by sean hooley and uh it says that irhythm also announced that it expects its upcoming quarterly earnings for the three months and the june 30th to be slightly ahead of expectations yeah the company maintaining its projection of revenues between 410 million and 420 million for the full year so they're they're moving forward despite some of the uh the bad news they had to deal with earlier yeah exactly yeah and yeah. uh you know and i gotta say too they I, I recall they had a uh you know they've been uh, scoring a bit of a uh, like cms reimbursement wins and mm-hmm. uh you know so so yeah some some good stuff happening over there uh, you know neat a neat product that they have you know that could uh you know hopefully replace the you know the kind of more cumbersome holder monitors that people have been sent home with in the past when there was a doctor suspected heart arrhythmias. Fantastic. Well, congratulations to uh, Chad Patterson, the new yeah. chief commercial officer. All right. What is number four on the new Marcus Newsmakers, Chris? Well, you know, number four is, uh, you know, we, uh, J&J had their, uh, their, ha- had their earnings out this week. We are now in the thick of, of the next earnings season. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things gleaned out of uh, that, that Sean gleaned out of their, uh, their earnings call was that they're, they're kind of dampening 
MA talk a bit, you know, from, you know, like in, in previous calls, they seemed a lot more bullish about MA activity. And, uh, you know, they, they were a little more toned down on it this time, you know, kind of saying they're not, you know, uh, their, uh, their CEO was saying that they were not, you know, they're not being op- opportunistic about it. They're, you know, like basically we're still just looking you know, always at the fundamentals of companies, you know, so, so a little more damp and talk about M&A, um, you know, interesting because there was like, you know, some uh, analyst speculation, you know, about, uh, you know, Johnson Johnson might, uh, might, you know, heck even, you know, what a realistic option for them might be to acquire Boston Scientific. So it looks like, like they're, they're trying to reset expectations a bit, um, you know, probably, probably there, it could also be playing into the fact that, you know, that we have more recession worries right now as well. So maybe, maybe they're, they're trying to be a little more conservative. Well, I, I for one, am, am just ashamed of all those uh, news entities out there that would promote such speculation. Such oh, as, yes. We would never do that here on Device Talks Weekly. Never will we do. <laughs> <laughs> we would never dedicate two and a half episodes to, uh, to will they, won't they conversation. And now I'm, I'm having this conversation and I realized that I didn't, Ask Mike Mahoney about that. And I don't know if, what he would have said, what he could have said, but it would have been an interesting, interesting to try to get an answer to it. I had a lot of more questions for Mike Mahoney than when we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We'll, we'll hopefully get him back. It's interesting too, because I mean, he used to, you know, he used to run the med tech business, Johnson yeah. Johnson. So, and that's one of the reasons why there's all that kind of talk. Like, I'm, they, sh- I'm sure you heard the rumor. You think? I think you think he, I? Yeah. I think he did. I think he heard <laughs> the rumors going on around that. So yeah. I, uh, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, one thing is, I mean, you look at Johnson Johnson right now; they're spitting out their consumer business, you know. So and MedTech is not as large as pharma. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there is like kind of an argument that you know would be good for them to acquire something that would balance those those two businesses more. Yeah. Well, Mike Matson was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago from Needham, and he made a very good case, although he doesn't cover J&J, he made a very good case as to why uh, an acquisition of Boston Scientific would make sense, uh, be a lot, bringing a lot of growth to J&J when they need it. And there's no real overlap in businesses, but it uh, doesn't yeah. look like it's going to happen. Go back and say that we were right. Yeah, I will. Go. Yeah, sure. good. Why not? Why not? Sounds good. Yeah. I, need, I need a win, yeah. Chris. Take a I win need a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll win dirty. I don't care. Hey, everyone. Tom here. It's my pleasure to bring in our episode's sponsor, KNF. I'm here with Dave Vanderbeck, Product Group Manager at KNF. Dave, tell us about KNF. KNF is a designer and manufacturer of diaphragm and piston pumps for gases and liquids. We serve the OEM, laboratory, and process industries, and our markets include medical primarily, but we are also heavily involved into environmental, analytical instruments, cleaning and disinfection, printing, and many more. How would I describe KNF? Well, basically, we are a large engineering-driven, family-owned company. KNF is Germany and Switzerland-based with 17 locations and five production sites, including our USA manufacturing facility that handles sales, most manufacturing and service for North America. But I have to say that engineering is really at the core of our design philosophy. This is what separates us from other pump manufacturers is our passion to customize our pumps design so that we could optimize the customer's system. We do this by establishing a close collaboration with our customers so that we may learn what pump features will allow them 
to design a system that will meet all of their engineering and marketing department's goals. Then we make use of our 75 plus years of experience and our modular designs to custom tailor the pump to the application. And in fact, we've been doing this process for so many years that we've actually refined the design and modification process to the point that we can do it efficiently and without adding cost for one piece or thousands. And then, which is important to medical as well as other fields, we can freeze the bill of materials for these customized designs that are then proprietary to the customer. So in the end, we achieve success by contributing to making the customer's system a success. That's great, Dave. We'll hear a little more from KNF a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out some more information, go to knf.com. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number three on the vaunted Newmarker's Newsmakers list? Well, number three, uh, we're once again in the uh, thick of earnings season. And, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, companies, uh, yeah, they're definitely working through more stuff right now. And um, Intuitive uh, had an especially uh, tough uh, Q2 uh, report. It's, uh, they, they missed uh, Wall Street projections. And here here's kind of the really interesting thing about it. I mean, I, I'm sure it's not interesting for them because they're having a tough time. But I mean, it's, it's just really... Uh, I mean, one analyst called it kind of contradictory that that so Da Vinci procedures were up fourteen percent year over year in the, mm-hmm. the second quarter, which which was good. I mean, and, and you know, CEO CEO Gary Gut Guthard even you know mentioned that China is their second largest market, and China has been you know working through more COVID lockdowns, so that's good. So procedures were up, but then their placements of new systems were down fifteen percent uh, year over year, mm-hmm. and. You know, and and it was it was with that. You know, the I mean, they're they're going through the supply chain disruptions, especially with semiconductors that everybody seems to be going through. Um, but you know, the other thing that they mentioned though is that you know it, it it looks like the you know it looks like the uh, you know the hospitals' willingness right now in the U.S. to you know make big capital equipment expenditures. It looks like that's like worse than expected right now. That right. You know, and they're and they're trying to squeeze more out of their existing robotic surgery systems, which yeah. will like explain why the pl- you know the procedures are up, but the exactly placements are down. They're trying to get more out of what they got before they go and uh, go and buy more. And uh, Intuitive also finds itself in this position where um, they don't have as you know they're they don't have as many older generation systems out there as well. So it's not like. Uh, you know they, you know the, so the you know the trade ins are are significantly down. So that's, that's kind of where they are right now. That's an interesting point. Yeah, and you're right. I, when you mentioned the inconsistency of the procedures and the placements, I, I, I'm not sure if I see or the analysts mentioning the inconsistencies in that. Yeah, people could be trying to. They're they're getting back. They're they're doing more procedures than the Da Vinci systems they have, but they're they're not. <laughs> others aren't buying as many as they were before, and that, right. and that sort of fits it fits the narrative that I would envision. Yeah. Um, what's what's interesting? I wonder. Um, hospitals, I'm sure, have are are counting their dollars, but you know, Da Vinci's been pretty open about. Look, we understand that uh, there's competition coming, and we're mm-hmm. ready to take them on. 
Uh, and that's, you know, I'm sure they feel that way and, and they are the undisputed leader. So I'm sure they're confident where they are going forward. But yeah. competition is just that it's competition. And, and you have to wonder if if some hospitals just aren't waiting, like, let's wait to see what else comes out. Like uh, smaller hospital, small, small, smaller robotic systems are coming out. Less expensive robotic systems yeah. are coming out. Different versions of robotics are coming out. It's kind of like the electric car scenario where we're like, well, you could get electric car now or. You know, right. Maybe you wait three or four years and see what what they can really do in three or four years. So exactly. uh, there's maybe we're in a valley of some sorts between in innovation, you know. Right. Do you really want to buy the the first model out of the plant of you know right. some kind of a you know electric vehicle in the same way? It's the same way with uh, with robots. Do you do you want to you know plow down you know a bunch more capital on a new Da Vinci system? You know, when, um, yeah, see what we see what's coming out next. And, uh, you know, and, and Gutheart, interestingly enough, too, talked, you know, about, you know, their work on doing a next generation Da Vinci. And, you know, he, he said there, you know, he, um, I, I thought it was interesting that he said that, um, you know, he was saying the work continues, but that as they get into these deeper technological opportunities and clinical impacts, that there's also just like deeper, deeper validation work and so you know going forward you know it's it's just you know costing more and taking more time to get mm-hmm. next generations of uh of, of the robotic systems out though i mean he said he said we're not afraid of that work that was exactly what he said he said i'd rather do things that are really clean clinically meaning, meaningful for the customers so you know they're they're putting in you know he says they're putting in the hard work over there so you know we'll see what comes down next but uh but yeah, they're definitely at a moment where they, you know, it feels like they have to, you know, like like what's going to come next out of Intuitive. Well, we'll we'll be able to uh, ask him directly at uh, Device Talks West. He'll be one of our keynote interviews. And uh, unlike the Mike Mahoney interview, I won't forget to ask this important question uh, when I do get to him face to face. So it'll be an interesting uh, interesting couple of years coming up. It already has been for yeah. surgical robotics and, and it's for such Intuitive. an exciting space. I Absolutely. mean, you know, I, I I think. I think the competition, you know, I I think we could see some, you know, really really cool things going forward. I mean, like, I mean, Intuitive put this space on the map, and you know, I I guess in some ways it's a credit to them that they now have so much competition because they put this thing on the map. You know, they're now now they're you know, now now they're competing for it. Absolutely. What is the what does he say? What is it? What is the most sincere form of flattery? Is it? Uh... Not being competed against. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say mimicking, but I think I'm messing it up, so it sounds bad. Imitation is imitation. The best form of flattery. Thank you. Imitation, and <laughs> I don't want to suggest anyone's an imitation for for intuitive. So I'm just going to back away from my stupid my stupid effort to sound smart, and uh, let's move on to number two on the new market. Uh, all right. So uh, number two on the list, this is just like really, really big news that uh, Amazon is uh, spending nearly $4 billion to uh, acquire a health mm-hmm. provider. Um, they're, I mean, they're acquiring one medical, which uh, has this whole chain of primary care clinics in 17 metro areas across the country, um, you know, including Boston, where you are. Uh, is there one medical clinic? I don't you, know where uh, it is. I'll have to look. I wasn't aware of it, but uh, yeah. you're right. Boston is right here. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Boston's right there. You know, not uh, not Minneapolis, but uh, you know, Minneapolis has has a reputation for having especially integrated clinical systems. So you know, this this might be a place you'd want to come and compete in later because I mean, they we we seem to you know we've 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 kind of had a 
you know, a, a reputation for more collaborative healthcare in the past already. So, um, you know, they uh, have opening coming soon to Miami and Milwaukee as well. So, I mean, they, you know, they, they have a really big digital health focus and, and, you know, and, you know, and also like, you know, their actual bricks and mortar locations are, you know, supposed to be placed in very like convenient, accessible places, uh, you know, like, like kind of, uh, you know, having this approach where you, you go in and it's, you know, easy to get in, you know, see extra people to, you know, to get, you know, conditions figured out. And uh, it looks like Amazon, you know, sees this as a, as a place where they could go in and, you know, and up the game even, even more. I mean, Amazon has had a interest in the healthcare space for a long time. They've, um, they've, you know, this rocky at times, uh, you know, they, you know, years ago, they were talking about distributing pharmaceutical products to hospitals over Amazon. And they, 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 they just saw the whole contracting situation and, you know, that, that hospitals already had and backed away from that. They had a joint venture with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan. That's right. Uh, it's a, you know, you know that they ended up yep. shuttering. But, but you know, at the same time, you know, they, they, ha- they had some success uh, selling their own COVID tests over at their site. They've been expanding diagnostics. Um, they've been, uh, you know, rolling out virtual health services already through Amazon Care nationwide. Um, their Amazon Web Services, it seems like almost every major company in our industry is like yeah. using it now to, to back up devices. So, no, it seems like a, a perfect, it seems like a perfect fit. And it, I'm looking at the Boston results now. They are in the Copley Square Government Center uh, Seaport. Oh, wow. And okay. outside of Boston in Newton, Tony, Tony Newton, as one might say. So nice. they're all, all high net worth areas. So it'll be mm, interesting okay. to see whether Amazon is able to uh, replicate this model and move it into less Tony environs uh, where more people can benefit from it. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I... I've de- tweeted to the dozens of people who follow me on, on Twitter that uh, the options out there for uh, healthcare like this is are, are limited and you see CVS struggling to sort of be a healthcare portal. I mean, we go there for vaccinations and stuff, but they don't seem to be built, at least not yet for, for delivering healthcare. I mean, Amazon did, you know, they obviously acquired Whole Foods and I've, yeah. I've, I've gone to Whole Foods. I'm not a regular goer to Home Foods, but those who Whole Foods, but those who have whole paycheck, are they still a whole paycheck? I or? suspect they are, but you know, yeah. those who, who do, uh, you know, I've heard complaints that, you know, the the quality is different. The number of options are different. So I guess I always have a concern when a company like Amazon sort of takes over a market like this because they do it so effectively <laughs> and they yeah. just can, they can just squash competition. But on the flip side, the competition is kind of squashing itself. No one else is really stepping up and something's got to give, right? I mean, we need a better option. I mean, this. one option too for them is, I mean, they might just, you know, what they, you know, what they do, um, you know, and, 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 you know, our, um, you know, our managing editor, Jim Hammeran is going to be definitely like looking into this more to see what, what this could mean. I mean, he's based in Seattle, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they could like expand this. I mean, another option too, I mean, which, which will be interesting to see what happens, but you know, they could also just, you know, figure out a lot of tools that help out one medical. And then you could take that and you could sell that to other health providers. I mean, that's yeah. another thing. They, they, this just might be where they figure out a lot of stuff that they then, you know, could offer as services, you know, elsewhere in the country as well to other other providers. So So what 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 is the over under for in years, do you think, for uh I'll say three years Amazon will buy a hospital? Over that or under that? Boy. I'd say I'd say never. <laughs> so you would go Actually, for the over. I, you know, I'd say never, I guess, but I mean I just hospital 
just being i mean i i started out and you know when i when i moved to minneapolis i started out here as a healthcare reporter in hospitals or and that that's a whole other you know versus a primary click care clinic i mean the hospital it's a it's big. a bigger jump but but amazon does seem to move in bites you know and this seems to be a big bite and they might Maybe be ready for a bigger bite i mean bite. it would be inter- yeah you know what i mean it's it's true they could uh yeah they've got you know uh, this primary clinic chain now that they can experiment with a lot of stuff and you know like yeah you know, maybe hopefully a, a hospital system, you know, that that really needs some improvements. So hopefully there's, you know, some place in the country that, you know, really needs a boost that uh, Amazon can go in and do it and figure it out and then sell the tools to other hospital systems. And we can, um, you know, kind of boost the level of, uh, of you know, what we're able to provide with healthcare in this country. Yeah. yeah. I mean, their, their market cap is, you know, over a trillion dollars. So it's, I'll take uh, back the never. I hope it's soon. That would be, yeah. I mean, it could, could be useful. All right, let, let us move on to, yes. to, to number one on the New Markers Newsmakers. Hey, number one on the list, we've got the first U.S. human implant of a brain-computer interface. Isn't that wild? That From is a wild. a company called Synchron. You know, our, uh, our MDO managing editor, Jim Hammerand, actually wrote a really nice big piece about them a few months ago. I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, I mean, I mean, like one of the really big innovations that they had is that this is like a catheter-delivered interface. So they're going into the angiography suite and doing this in a minimally invasive endovascular uh, like approach, uh, you know, to, to brain implants. Um, so... So it's really fascinating. You know, they beat out uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink to do this, which uh, so yeah. it's really exciting. I mean, it's kind of like uh, you could basically have a catheter delivery system to, to bring a, uh, a brain implant into somebody and like get all you know, kinds of interaction with the brain and sensory stuff. And so this could be, uh, yeah, this could be, fingers crossed, this could be a, a really interesting advance. Absolutely. No, I mean, the brain is the is the last frontier, I'd say, for healthcare. I'm actually reading a book live wired now just about the brain's plasticity and its ability to evolve based upon sensory inputs. And I can't imagine how it could evolve more than with implanted medical devices to help either vision come back or hearing come back or hopefully help ease dementia. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many possibilities there. So uh, it's interesting that there's sort of a race going on. I wasn't aware of a race between Synchron and, and Neuralink, but uh, competition yeah. is good. So we'll see uh, maybe now that uh, Elon Musk isn't buying Twitter, he can put the $40 billion <laughs> or whatever it was to, uh, to uh, solving some serious issues. Well, we'll see. Last time I checked, he's like, uh, they're they're still trying to make him, uh, you know, buy it in court. So we'll uh, we'll see where that goes. That'll be a that'll be an interesting trial to watch. But um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but but, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, maybe he'll get turn more of his attention to this or uh, you know some other other causes. So we'll see. All right, Chris Newmarker. Thanks for uh, another great list of the Newmarkers newsmakers. Anytime, Tom. All right, well, now I'd like to bring in our episode sponsor, KNF. I'm speaking with Dave Howard. Dave is the business development manager at KNF. Dave, I know KNF has been busy lately. What's new? What can you talk about? 
Thanks a lot, Tom. Um, well, as you've already heard, you know, K&F is a manufacturer of both liquid and gas diaphragm and piston pumps that have been used in many applications around the world. Our main focus here in the U.S., though, has been with medical devices and especially diagnostic systems. Recently, we have noticed an increased drive for fluidic systems that reduce or completely remove the existence of pulsation, which is typically generated by pumps within the circuit. So we have actually been really hard at work to develop an entirely new line of what we call smooth flow products. Pulsation is nearly impossible to avoid with many pump technologies. Half the time the pump is drawing liquid in and the other half of the time it's pushing liquid out. So no matter how fast you run the pump, you still have this stop and start motion of the liquid, which basically leads to what we feel and hear in tubing when it's shaking and vibrating around. So at times, uh, the pressure fluctuations generated by the pulsation can lead to all types of problems. It can cause cavitation and air bubbles in the media. Uh, the vibrating tubing itself can be felt throughout the system, which could impact the accuracy of analytical devices and so forth. Uh, tubing in the system actually ends up wearing quicker. And over time, this could lead to sporadic leakages. And also, you have this inconsistent performance basically depending on what types of restrictions you have in the lines. So KNF has essentially fixed this problem with this new line of smooth flow and low pulse products. We call them our FP product line, and we can accommodate flow rates as low as just a few milliliters per minute, all the way up to 12 liters per minute, and uh, operating pressures up to six bar. So with all of the changes that went into the design and the development of these products, we're actually now seeing a more efficient pump. And this is both from a size standpoint, as well as regarding power consumption. Vibration is, of course, minimized. Stress on tubing is now reduced. And there's much less chance of cavitation. And with these lower peak-to-peak -peak pulsation fluctuations, we're actually expecting much longer-lasting pumps uh, with much less stress on the motor or bearings and so forth. So really, we're just really excited to get more of these pumps into these medical device industry. And we're already seeing some really positive feedback from our customers. Well, thanks again to KNF for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks to Dave Howard and Dave Vanderbeck of KNF for sharing their thoughts. If you want to find out more information, you can go to knf.com. You can also send an email to Dave Howard. He is at dave.howard at knf.com. Well, Camille Chang Gilmore, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Actually, I just realized, welcome back to the podcast. We had you on <laughs> <laughs> during our own lockdowns. Uh, and at that time, we talked about the Close the Gap program, which was a fascinating conversation. This time, we're going to look more at your internal work at Boston Scientific, yours and the teams, as to working with DEI issues within the company. And you've got a lot to talk about for sure. But we always like to talk about the person first. I'd love to understand how you came into MedTech. Your first job in MedTech was with Boston Scientific, right? It was. My first job in MedTech or in Med Devices was with Boston Scientific, then Guidance. So in 2004, I took the call of a headhunter and headed to Atlanta, Georgia. About 18 months later, Boston Scientific bought Guidance, and I've had such an amazing career. I started as an HR manager for the Southeast supporting sales and our vascular intervention division peripheral, and then started to move up to director, then to vice president of human resources for our interventional cardiology division. So along my career, I've had actually supported five divisions of the seven within Boston Scientific. And then um, someone came knocking at my door. I think it was our CEO, Mike Mahoney. He said, hey, I see you have an affinity for this 
diversity, equity, and inclusion work, would you mind playing a dual role as the head of HR for interventional cardiology and be our CDO, chief diversity officer, as well? And I said, you know what? I'll do it. And then what started to happen is it just started to take off. And uh, we realized that this was becoming bigger. Uh, Once Mike had established that diversity was going to be one of our core values and he assigned me to the role, uh, it really showed the organization that we were really serious about meaningful innovation through diversity. Mm -hmm. And so it's been an exciting ride. Eight years now. I can't believe it that I've been in this role. (laughs) I was going to ask about the timing because I I know when we had talked last, and it was like it was uh, the fall of 2020, the murder of George Floyd had happened a a few months before that. And obviously there had been a move to, I think a lot of companies looked internally and realized that they were falling short of where they needed to be. And uh, uh, more attention, more necessary attention was paid to these important issues. You're looking back eight years as to, to when Boston Scientific began looking internally. I wonder, other than it being the right thing to do, which is an important thing, was there something that sparked that internal look? You know, Tom, I think it all started for Boston Scientific when in 2017, Mike signed the CEO action pledge stating that diversity, equity, inclusion was going to be a strategic imperative for Boston Scientific. He was one of the first 150 CEOs to actually sign the pledge Hmm. right out the gate, unapologetically so. And in 2017, after signing that pledge, I think we then showed our commitment through even some of the things that we did around health equity uh, with our Close the Gap program. And we created the, the Platinum Diversity Trial, which was the first clinical trial of its kind to prove that stent technology could operate the same, whether mm-hmm. you were Black, Hispanic, or a non-person of color. Can you imagine that we had to actually create uh, something like that? But it, it was so well-received, well-done, that it also allowed us to lean in when the daylight death of George Floyd happened in 2020 to create a strategy called playing our part to combat racism. And it was our opportunity to, within two and a half years, take $3.5 million and appropriate it in a way to support the strategy that we created around five pillars, community, mm-hmm. economic empowerment, education, healthcare disparities, government policies, to really ensure we had sustainable plans going forward. I'm so proud of that work. If anyone wants to go to our website, we were supposed to take two and a half years to complete it. Uh, We were done in two. Over 100 employees working together within those work streams to get this work done. And then as a result of that, we also created an anti-racism and cultural history program, specifically first in the U.S. that we rolled out. And it stands for ARCH. So ARCH stands for Anti-Racism and Cultural History. And it really is a comprehensive series of courses and activities aimed at just advancing individual and collective understanding of race, culture, and identity. We partnered with an outside vendor called LCW, Language Culture Worldwide, and the reception to that work has just been transformational. In the United States, we have uh, cohorts of employees that go through from train-to-trainer session on like race matters to things around cultural inclusion and cultural competence. And our goal is to really make sure that as we do some of these trainings, we bring some of that expertise in-house so that we can truly infuse and integrate the training as we go. We plan to even launch it in EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, as well as Asia Pacific. 
you know, I think it's a clear example of Boston Scientific doing what we say we're going to do and then doing it. And that's probably why I think we've had so many strides in the past couple of years. That's amazing. And I want to get into the particulars in a moment, but your reference as to you're trying to implement these plans in other parts of the world. It struck me today, just uh, for some weird reason, maybe because we're having this conversation, but companies like Boston Scientific, larger companies where you've got employees from many different regions within the US, outside the US, all with different perspectives on things, uh, especially in the US, we're seeing people in this state feeling differently than people in that state. How important is the role of the corporation to bring all of those different viewpoints together? It almost seems like this is might be the last bastion of where we all get together and talk civilly to one another. It's so important, I think, to have a healthy conversation. We're having a Slack conversation on my work line today. So I guess that's why I was thinking about it. But do you look at your role as that? I mean, you're really bringing together so many different communities now and hopefully uh, having peaceful and civil conversations. You know, Tom, it's something I said to my team recently. We have to understand that we can disagree without being disagreeable. There becomes a level of just diplomacy uh, that I think we've forgotten that really drives progress. And I think it's something that we fundamentally need to teach people how to get back to. I think the one thing about our strategy, whether it's our health equity strategy, our community strategy, or our diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, is really starting at the place and where it's more meaningful to actually start. It's not a peanut butter approach where if we're doing it, if we're doing it this way in, in US, then we should do it this way in EMEA. It won't work that way. I have to meet people where they are, understand the cultural nuances, and then say what is valuable and and what can be valued as they do the work for Boston Scientific to treat patients but also make sure that we create meaningful experiences for employees. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's, it's such important work. I wanted to hit upon last month, you were named Best Employer for Diversity by Forbes. I think it was your fifth consecutive year. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Boston Scientific employees. <laughs> yeah, no, great job. So, but what struck me within the, the release that you issued for that, you had six concrete items, areas that you were working on that helps you move toward greater equity. We could kind of walk through them, but just providing it, and they sound simple, but provide equitable opportunities for career growth for all employees. What does that look like? How are you opening doors for people that maybe the doors weren't open for them before? Oh, well, Tom, thank you for acknowledging the collective work of all the people, the 41,000 employees at Boston Scientific around the world. We don't do anything alone, but you also forgot about our Callis Award. Which is <laughs> bring it up. Sorry about that. <laughs> and I have to share it because, you know, for those that don't know the Callis Award, and I think it also is accumulation. The Callis Award to me summarizes even and addresses the question that you're asking. It's one of the most prestigious awards that recognizes diversity, equity, inclusion, and leadership and excellence. And, and that is the work of the 41,000 employees around the world. It's no small feat. And I think one of the things that comes with that award, in addition to Forbes, is that they're recognizing some of the groundbreaking initiatives that have had measurable impact, recruitment, our development, and our advancement of women and multicultural talent. And, you know, I think one of the things that we loved about the Callis Award is the rigor that it also put around to really validate what we were doing. And I would say, if you look at 
the success we've had as an organization, it's everyone rowing together from our communications team to our legal team, to our HR team, to the businesses, the divisions, the regions, really collaborating and understanding what it is and what's our commitment, but more importantly, the actions that everyone needs to do at the local level to really advance women and our multicultural talent and all employees within Boston Scientific. I think one of the things that we have recognized is that we have to continue to address the barriers to equitable access. And that means, you know, doing simple things. I'll tell you, from even our announcements, when we send out announcements of new hires or new people in the organization, we want to make sure that we're showing even the full person, the full development, what they've experienced, some even personal things. Uh, So that at the end of the day, Tom, people can say, you know what? I see myself Mm -hmm. in that person. Wow. That person just got promoted to a director, to a vice president. Wow. That person looks like me. That person can be me. And then even thinking about what are the things that I need to think about to, to get to that next level? Can I use that person as a resource and ask them to um, just guide me in what they're doing? And I'm a true believer. If you see it, then you can be it. And I think we're doing quite a bit of that as we accelerate people's careers. We're looking also for stretch opportunities for growth. We're looking for different assignments for growth. And, you know, mentorship, mentorship informally is also important. And we're encouraging people to do that informally as well. So what is the encouraging growth and asking people to stretch themselves? And again, the GROW program was mentioned in this release as well, matching product builders, it says, and technicians to mentors who help coach them through. It's an understandable goal, and I think it's a great goal, but how does it fit into a DEI strategy? You know, our GROW program is so unique and so well-received, but also so needed. One of the things that we recognize is that we have talent within our local site systems and facilities that we want to ensure have opportunities to develop within the organization. Our goal within Boston Scientific is to create opportunities for women and people of color to compete for opportunities within the organization. By creating the GROW program, we create an opportunity to take some of our junior folks in the organization and pull them through through very deliberate, intentional, and somewhat surgical programming that allows them to understand what it takes to operate at the next level with coaching and even bringing along their managers. And I think that is so needed by not just, wasn't just needed by just us, but I think in MedDevice, if we could all do that, because at the end of the day, we want to create a a nice pool uh, to then pick from so that we can have people accelerate and and be productive in our organizations and achieve their their highest capacity. And the the GROW program really allowed allowed us to do that. And it's it's one of the the diamonds or one of the gems in our crowns, so to speak. That's great. And I I would imagine in a job market like this one where you're having trouble finding new talent, it's so important to do this to retain the talent you have and to keep people challenged and excited about what they're doing. It really is. Yeah. So another item that was listed was pay employees equitably. It's a Boston Scientific reports 99% of greater pay equity. How does Boston Scientific look at that and ensure that that pay is equitable? Well, one, we're so excited about that. And, and I will tell you, it's 
one of the things that's become a true conversation piece when we meet with hospital systems, they're in awe of the fact that we are at 99.9% parity. And I think one of the things that starts with having a great compensation team that really wants to ensure that people are paid to market. Uh, so one of the things that our total rewards team has done a great job of doing is doing kind of impromptu audits to ensure that people are paid to market. And then, but more importantly, after they do the impromptu adjustments, then speak with those managers to ensure that action is taken to bring them into parity. And I think it's you know something that's forthcoming that we are even looking at just to keep pushing ourselves. Uh, we're just underway of, of a job architecture program that's just been launched where we're going to be looking at the, the titling, the levelings, just to make sure that we are competitive uh, to the market. And this was recently launched by our EVP of HR, Wendy Carruthers, to just ensure that we continue this um, lean forward approach to ensure pay equity as we go forward, but also be competitive in our titling. Interesting. And it also, uh, you mentioned recruiting inclusively and with purpose. Uh, you're collaborating with organizations such as historically Black colleges and universities. How long have you been doing those collaborations? What do those collaborations look like? And can you just share the fruit that's being uh, born from them? Oh, so much fruit. Uh, <laughs> A lot of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and we're excited about it. I mean, so, you know, as I mentioned, um, back in 2017, 2018, Mike invited the deans of the historical black colleges and universities to actually come and visit Boston Scientific. Wow. Yeah. Personal invitation, brought all the engineering deans. And what came out of that has just been fantastic. Our global sales operations EVP, Brad Sorensen, has really embraced it as well. As a result, we've had collaborations uh, with the deans on their campuses with our VPs of R&D where they go on those campuses and even give insight to professors on what they should be teaching to make sure that these young people are competitive when they come to Boston Scientific. I mean, think about that. That's awesome. When you have industry meeting the educational sector, just even providing that insight. With the deans of the HBCUs, they have a board called AMI, Advancing Minorities Interest in Engineering. And they have graciously allowed us to have a seat on that board. Matt Lavelle, our VP of Operations, he um, is our lead, and his liaison, uh, co-lead, is Ken McKee, who's a director in ops in our Maple Grove facility. And by having us on those boards, or that board specifically, it allows us to really get the, the key glean what the deans are needing and what we need to be doing and how we need to be showing up to the HBCUs. In addition, the National Action Council for uh, Minority Engineering, NACME, we are also a, a board member on that. And one of the things that we love about that, that is also focused on bringing talented women and people of color engineers into MedDevice. And not only by serving on the board, but we even had a board member, Nelda Connors, who was a graduate from NACME. So, which is just great that we're we're still tied to an organization that's really trying to bring in that talent. We also have partnerships with the Society of Women Engineers. We have NSBE, National Black Engineers, um, BEA, Becoming Everything You Are. And I think part of this is it's really a thread through strategy. It's not a one and done. We just don't show up at these events. It really is a pull through 
trying to connect all the, the threads so that we have bigger lift. And so let me give you an example. I remember when we went to BEA, Becoming Everything You Are conference, this is where the deans of engineering have a lot of their young people go. I remember the second conference we went to, we may have made one or two offers. The third conference we went to, we maybe made five offers. Third and fourth, we started to get up there in the teens. The last conference, I believe, and I I think I'm right on this, we had about 40 on-the-spot offers this past year. 40 on the spot, close to there. And that just is a testament to, again, it's not a one and done for us. It's a, it's about leading. It's about listening. It's about learning and then figuring out what is the best way for us to then take action to move the work. And, and you talked earlier about the mentoring that, that helps people stretch themselves to, to the next job. What are you doing to increase representation of women and multicultural talent at, at the supervisor and the manager level? I'm glad you asked, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Let me guess, you have a program? (laughs) So one of the things that we did, um, and Mike challenged us on this, as well as the executive committee, they said, look, it's great that we have a lot of initiatives uh, and programs, but we need to make sure that we have some aspirational goals. And one of the things that we did is we created what's called the 10, 20, 40 goals by 2020. So we actually said we want to be a top 10 inclusive place to work for LGBTQ plus and disability inclusion. We want to have 20% multicultural talent at the manager and supervisor level. And we want to have 40% women at the manager and supervisor level. Wonderful news. We hit the 10% back in 2020. We actually exceeded the 20% for multicultural by 2020. Guess where we came in on women for the 40% goal? Guess. 43%. 39. <laughs> <laughs> you rounding up or are you? You know, my sales leader, Sam Conaway said, come on, Camille, you got to round up. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I said, uh, you know, um, and then I remember Mike and Wendy asking me, hey, are you disappointed? And I said, no, actually, I'm not disappointed. I, I, it just shows that this work is hard. What I think we need, now need to do is lean in. So what decided to do is lean in and we created the three up goals to 2023. So that's to be a top 10 inclusive place to work for the LGBTQ plus and disability inclusion. Still, still that maintain that, but then it's to drive 23% at the manager and supervisor level by 2023 and to drive uh, women at the manager and supervisor level by 2023. So we're on our way you know, and I think we're doing it in the right way, which is making sure that we have enough women and people of color, multicultural talent in the pool to compete for opportunities to advance. And um, if we continue to do that, I know we'll, we'll make the progress. And then I can come back, Tom, and I can talk to you about what we did. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get it in the calendar for sure. Well, it's it's clearly important for companies in every industry to have these same goals and strive for these same successes. Is there anything unique about the metal device industry that really makes this sort of broader representation more important or extremely important? Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, one of the things that I guess I have to, to share my own personal story. So I don't know if you know this, Tom, but my mother is a walking billboard for Boston Scientific. Peripheral <laughs> stents, she's had stents, coronary disease, and then she has a defibrillator. And I think it's so important to have women and people of color in 
in med device because three times my mother went to the hospital and was turned away. And guess what? She's a nurse. She's a retired nurse. And it wasn't until she said to the person, I am dying, please help me do something, that she was even um, treated seriously. Now, luckily, she had a daughter with an amazing sales organization that is so well-versed and so caring that we were able to share with her physician just my education, the less invasive therapies that existed, right? So it's, it's so different when you come to the conversation educated and just even a little bit knowledgeable, not even a lot knowledgeable, just a little bit knowledgeable about the less invasive therapies. And I think it's important that we try and get as many women and people of color in med device because the communities that really need to understand the less invasive treatment are not aware. They're just not aware Hmm. because physicians have not had conversations or they just don't know. Or even if the physicians have had conversations, they don't know what the quality of life could bring them if indeed they did say, you know what, I want this less invasive therapy. So I think testimonials are important. I will tell you, someone joked with me just yesterday, my husband heard someone, one of his clients was taking their family member to the hospital because they think they were, they may have blockage. And someone said, are you paying your husband because he just recommended, tell them Boston Scientific. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Little plug, never hurt anybody. I know. I know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so important. And I think what happens is, you know, I didn't know about med device until someone contacted me and said, hey, it's not a known entity. It's not a known industry to the community. And so I think it's really important that we try and find different ways to educate people about med device. And actually, we've taken a, a step in doing that. There's our talent acquisition uh, and recruiting arm recently just partnered with medical device, uh, medical sales college to help them understand the need to recruit more diverse candidates in their pipeline. They don't, they're not even part of Boston Scientific, but mm-hmm. we're going to use them as a pool to go to to get talent. We need them to do the work, too, to educate people of color and women about the opportunities and also recruit them. It's starting to be a great partnership. We're starting to see some benefit from that through some scholarships that we're awarding. But maybe the next time I come back, too, I'll even have some data and facts on that. That's a great point. I hadn't really thought about the wisdom that employees could impart. I had a similar experience with my dad just covering medical devices, and I would he would, he would walk away from doctor's appointments looking at me like, like, how'd you know what he was talking about? I'm like, I, I know what a defibrillator, I know what these things do. I don't know how they work, but I know what they are. And that, not to be dangerous, right? Tom? Exactly. Exactly. So you've had these great programs in place for many years. I wonder if walking through the halls or wherever you're at, or just thinking about the company today, that can you think of an instance or two that you've walked by recently and have seen something happen and say, wow, I'm, that would not have happened five or six years ago. I'm glad that that person got a chance. I'm glad that population was represented. Any any sort of specifics that you've recognized of late that are, again, going back to the fruits, the fruits of these labors, of these efforts by yourself and everyone else in Boston Scientific? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many. I don't, I don't want to, um, I don't <laughs> know where to start, but it brought me joy seeing Megan Scanlon take a picture of Mike Mahoney as he was raising the pride flag at corporate headquarters. Now, we've been, we've been doing this he actually started, Mike started when we did it with our Maple Grove site. 
But now it's just such a natural thing for us to do during Friday. That's great. We just do it. No prompting or anything. And and when it comes to just even the partnering I'm seeing amongst all our employee resource groups, where they recognize that we're better together, not separate. And they use the intersectionality opportunities to educate not only our employees, but others, even vendors and such as of of how in some cases we're interconnected, right? So for Black History Month, when Bridge got together with Pride to share just famous people in the LGBTQ community that were Black, right? I mean, that to me, I was like, wow, pure joy. Yeah. Um, Or when you hear, you get invited to our IT town hall and the head of IT has a speaker of a woman who's disabled who has a a, a grenade exploded in her hands and she lost her limbs and her legs. And the IT leader used it as an opportunity to bring the speaker in so that we could just recognize and motivate the team beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. No no asking of the DE&I team. I mean, this was done on their own. Mm -hmm. Or when you see closed captioning automatically apart of our town halls, right? So many people think that it's for the hearing disabled, but actually it's such an amazing tool for our global community when you have English as a second language mm. and the closed captioning is available. Mm-hmm. Those are wins for me. That's a great point about the closed <laughs> captioning. And I, I think the neurodiverse as well, I think they benefit from having a secondary form. So Great stuff. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. And uh, yes, let's do it again when you've got more more points on the board that we can talk about. We'd love to have you back. Oh, I know the 41,000 employees of Boston Scientific are not going to let me down. We're going to have some more. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Camille, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Take care now. All right, Chris Newmarker. Let's start telling folks how they can find us on social media. Where are you? I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker. And you can find me on Twitter, at Newmarker. Always happy to, to talk with people. Fantastic. I am on Twitter, at MedTechTom. I am on Instagram, at MedTechTom. You can see a picture of my son sending his drone up into the sky from the top of Pierce Pond Mountain. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. Uh, please do uh, subscribe. What do, I'm sorry, Chris. What do we want people to do? Need like, follow, subscribe. I was I was out of practice, but you were there. You were ready to Got go. It. So yes, please like, follow, and or subscribe to this podcast. You can actually, you'll be subscribing to the pod, Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll get this podcast, Striker Talks, and Intuitive Talks. So uh, they'll be sent directly to your listening device. And then, of course, please do subscribe also to Medtronic Talks, which has its very own channel. All of them are available to you on every major podcast player. And you can find out how to subscribe at devicetalks.com, where you can also find past episodes of all of these podcasts. So, so much information there. Uh, Please do uh, be aware that Device Talks West is coming up on October 19th and 20th. You can register for that at devicetalks.com. You got to be there or be square. Going to be a good show. Yeah. You definitely want to be there. We've got uh, some some great contributions from Abbott, Medtronic, Boston Scientific. Uh, I mean, the, the the conversations that are coming together are really exciting. Yeah. So I hope folks do join us there. And uh, that is a wrap. Please do share this podcast on social media. Did I say that yes, yet, Chris? Yes, you did, Tom. Yes. <laughs> 
I said share it on yeah, social media. We like, follow, subscribe. Do it well, all, that's man. liking, that's you, liking and uh, following, but share, share it also on Twitter and LinkedIn and make sure Chris and I sharing are Sharing is so always can, good. Sharing, sharing is <laughs> sharing is great. <laughs> as long as it's important values. <laughs> that's right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks, folks, for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Hey, take care. Enjoy the summer. <laughs>